This morning, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 14. We're bringing to a conclusion the series on the Lordship of Jesus. And in many ways, I've left the best to last and certainly the most important to last because we're talking about surrendering to his Lordship. We're talking about complete obedience to Jesus Christ, our Lord and King. John 14 is in the, what we call the last discourses of Jesus in the upper room. We know that where they have their last Passover meal together. And of course, the Lord Jesus is, is bringing together some of the most important elements, summarizing what he's been saying to them and exhibiting among them his 12 disciples over the last three years or so, but also preparing them for the future, especially his physical departure from the world. I don't just mean that he was going to go to the cross, die, of course he was going to be raised again from the dead, but the time will come when he will ascend to heaven and be no more physically present with us. But the Spirit is going to come and manifest his presence, the presence of Christ. And so he's with us today by his Spirit. So let's read verse 19 and onwards of John chapter 14. A little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. At that day, you will know that I'm in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them It is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, He will keep my word, and my Father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Obedience, unfortunately, has many negative connotations for us today. We kind of suppose obedience applies only to pets, circus animals, criminals, and very small children. Quite happy for dogs to be well-trained and obedient. Sit! Or kids to be well-behaved. Stop it! Or criminals to come into line and live in obedience with the laws of the land. But obedience in the Bible, including the New Testament, is a far greater, more dynamic, and even indeed a unique concept than that. The Bible teaches that in marriage, wives submit to husbands as unto the Lord. Children obey your parents in the Lord. The book of Romans speaks about our need under the commandment of God to obey those who have governing authority over us. Hebrews chapter 13 speaks about the authority given to church leaders, and we're told to obey those who rule over us. 
Now, why is it that we find this concept so difficult? We could speak about modern philosophies and the kind of attitudes of our present age, such as we are brainwashed with the thought that we have absolute rights over ourselves and we're just as good as the next person, there's no one more important than me, and no one has the right to tell me what to do. We are these autonomous, self-determining individuals. What is happening here? We have taken the precious gift of God, the gift of free will, which he has given it to us that we might freely choose to love him and serve him, recognize his authority and surrender to him. We have taken that gift and are using it to rebel against him. And this rebellion is not just a 21st century kind of rebellion. This goes right back to the very, very beginning. Way, way, way back into what we call original sin when our first parents rebelled against God and, and somehow we have adopted that same mentality. Indeed, it is deeply within us. So our natural inclination is against God. Our natural inclination is in rebellion to God. And the moment we begin to seek him, it is not so much our seeking him, but him drawing us to himself. The Bible says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 7, the carnal mind is enmity against God. That's what we have to put up with in our own personhood. We have this fallenness about us. And thank God for the Holy Spirit. And we're going to come on to his influences in a moment. But apart from the Holy Spirit, there is nothing in us that would choose voluntarily to surrender to God. But God didn't leave us in that condition. He sent Christ to be the Savior and the Lord of our life. Jesus died on the cross to be the substitute sacrifice for sins of, of the world and, and beyond that also to create within us a new nature, a nature that is soft and sensitive. And this is what the Bible talks about being born again, a nature that actually desires God. Didn't you feel that rise up within you when we had first our own excellent residential worship leaders and then our guest worship leaders from the Elam family? We were wanting to worship God. That is not just about the music. It's not just about the rhythm. It's about the desire to love God and to serve him and to encounter him. All of this rests on the prior work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to draw us closer and closer to God. One of the best descriptions of the new birth is found in Hebrews chapter 8. And if you're making notes and want to do further research, have a look at Jeremiah 31, which is very much in line with Hebrews 8. In fact, Hebrews 8 is quoting it. Hebrews 8 and verse 10, halfway through, gives us the essence of the new covenant. God taking his will, his laws, his requirements, and imprinting them on our hearts so that from within we have a desire to obey God, a desire to follow him and serve him. It says, I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts and they, I will be their God and they will be my people. This is what it means to be born again. And if today you have never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is the day. 
And those of us who have a, maybe many years behind us when we have submitted to Christ, today is a fresh day, fresh surrender. Remember, He is the Lord. He's not just Savior, He is Lord and Savior. His full title, He is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And God has given Him all authority. And this is something that we have to recognize very difficult in today's society because we, we don't like this idea of authority. Authority figures are negative and nasty. Don't let anything interrupt the flow of the Spirit in your mind today. Don't let this word authority scare you as if it is something to do with telling you off and making you feel bad and bring you under conviction of sin. Listen, if you are a believer, that conviction is done with. God has quashed the conviction. Conviction is for convicts. We are not convicts. We are new creatures, new creation in Christ Jesus. Amen and amen. But if you have never received Christ, then let the Holy Spirit draw you to him because the work of the Spirit to the world is to convince the world of sin and of the need of Christ as your Savior. Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 to 7, says it for me. When Paul writes to this Colossian church, they have many, many problems. One of their problems was they never really settled on the sufficiency of Jesus. Jesus is not one amongst many. Jesus is utterly unique. He is the Son of the living God. He is the Lord of all. And that means we follow him and obey him. And that begins the very moment we come to Christ. Colossians 2 verse 6 says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. Who is he? Say it with me. Christ Jesus the Lord. The Lord. No one higher. All authority is given to him. So he says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so continue in him. Continue to walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you've been taught, abounding in it with all thanksgiving. So all the way with God is the only way with God. Complete obedience means following the Lord wholeheartedly. Today we're going to strike out all no-go areas in our lives. No half measures, no holding back. We're going to go the whole way and today before this service is over, you and I are going to affirm once again, once and for all, Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. My life. And that means there can be no excuses it's about, okay, God, you say it, that settles it. So no complaints, no excuses, just do it. This week, um, I saw a humorous uh, sketch on YouTube, and it's called Stop It. Now, before we can see a little, little section of this, now, let me tell you, I gotta, I've got to deal with the sensitive souls here just before we watch this. This is humor, this is fun. And I want to say, if you ever have a need in your life, whether it's the need of this woman, who you will see in a moment, we're not going to mock it, we're not going to make fun of it, uh, but there will come a time in the counseling and in the interaction pastorally where you'll have to choose to go your way or God's way, okay? But before we get there, 
we do a whole lot of nice things first, okay? Not like this guy who's in a sketch playing a psychiatrist who is so fed up of people complaining about different areas in their lives and having so many excuses, and so he gives this kind of advice. Let's have a look and join in in this DVD right now. Well, tell me, tell me about the problem that you wish to address. Oh, okay. Uh, well, I have this fear of being buried alive in a box. <laughs> I just, I start thinking about being buried alive and I begin to panic. Has, has, has anyone ever, ever tried to, to bury you alive in a box? No, no, but... Truly, thinking about it does make my life horrible. I mean, I can't go through tunnels or be in an elevator or in a house, anything boxy. So what, what you're saying is you're, uh, you're claustrophobic. Uh, yes. Yes, that's it. All right. Well, uh, let's go, Catherine. I'm, uh, I'm going to uh, say two words to you right now. I, I want you to listen to them very, very carefully. Then I want you to take them out of the office with you and incorporate them in into your life. Well, shall I uh, write them down? Well, if, if it makes you comfortable, it's just two words. Most we find most people can uh, can remember them. <laughs> okay. You ready? Yes. Okay. You're there. Stop it! <laughs> Stop it? Yes. S-T-O-P, new word, I-T. So, what are you saying? <laughs> you, you know, it's funny. I, I, I say two simple words, and I cannot tell you the amount of people who say exactly the same thing you're saying. I mean, this, you know, this is not Yiddish, Catherine. This is English. Stop it. So, I should just stop it. There you go. I mean, you... you you don't want to go through life being scared of being buried alive in a box, do you? I mean, that sounds, sounds frightening. Yes. Then stop it! I can't. I mean, it's been with me no, since childhood. No, no, childhood. no. No, we, 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 we don't go there. Just, just stop. So I should just stop being afraid of being buried alive in a box. You got it. Good go. Well, it's only been... It's only been three minutes, so that will be um, uh, three dollars. Whole clip, and eventually she gets her own back because she starts telling him to stop it. So have have a lot of fun. One hundred, uh, no, a million hits on the, on the, on YouTube, and I think five hundred thousand of them are Elon ministers watching just to get a bit of personal therapy for themselves. <laughs> and uh, again, let me just say, anybody who is suffering from claustrophobia, it is not. It shouldn't be the butt of jokes and so on. And he goes on to talk about, she talks about other problems as well. So understand, we're very sensitive to where people are coming from and their needs in their lives. And you will not be treated like that in our counselling sessions. But there will come a moment when all the understanding is done, all the empathy, all the compassion, all the tracing of the roots of the problem and all that, there will come a time when you and I will just have to stop it. The Bible says, put off the things associated with a former way of life. 
But you see, Bob Newitt here hasn't got the whole story because he should also be saying, do it. Not just stop it, but do it. Because the other side of the coin is to put on Christ. And that is a decision. Let me tell you, friends, you may have prayed about it, fasted about it, have demons cast out about it, discussed with all kinds of people about it, gone to seminars on it, listened to conferences on it, worshipped about it, done absolutely everything until you have stopped it. It's still with you. There comes a moment when we have to acknowledge, Jesus, you are Lord, and your authority is greater than any problem I have. It's not about how I feel, it's about who he is. It's not about having ideal circumstances in which to respond to God. It is about surrendering to his absolute authority. So take away with you, not just two words, but four words, stop it and do it. Don't do the things that displease God. Do the things that please him. But this by no means is the whole story. And I want to dig a little deeper into what Jesus said. Because every time God comes down on the line and says, this side of the line is disobedience. And remember who's speaking, the God of the universe. This side of the line is obedience. And you to walk, I call you to walk on this side of the line. Whenever he puts his finger on something in your life, and I am certainly been praying that God will put his finger on things in your life today. Otherwise, what's the point of preaching unless you're going to say, God, speak to me. Is there something in my life that today I know I have to stop? Because I'm dishonoring you. Is there something in my life that I need to start to do? Because I want to honor you. God will be speaking to us all today. But when he puts his finger on something, it is, I can't find an example that is different from what I'm about to say. Always in that same context, in that same passage, he is saying, there is good reason to follow me. It's good reason because this, these are the blessings of obedience. And that's actually what Jesus is talking about here. If we go back to John 14, verse 22, Jesus has said that he's going to manifest himself, not to the world, but to believers. The manifestation of himself to the world, he talks about in the same passage in another place. When the Spirit comes, he says, he will convince the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. Yes, there is a work of the Holy Spirit, especially through us as believers, to reach the lost. But now he's not talking about how to get saved. He's talking about how to walk with Jesus. And every call of obedience is accompanied by a blessing that he promises to those who obey him. And Judas, not the Iscariot fellow, the other Judas, said to Jesus, verse 22, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Good question. How does this work, Lord? What's the pathway which will lead us to a greater experience of your love, a greater manifestation of your presence? Jesus answers and said, it's very simple. It's obedience. Verse 23, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. In other words, obey me. 
and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. This passage can be so easily misrepresented because in the hands of a legalist, somebody who says, you're not worthy and until you make yourself worthy and live the right way, God is not going to bless you. That's a legalist. They could use this verse and say, here, we, here it is. First of all, you obey, then God loves you. Is that the truth? No, it's not. <laughs> all this begins with God's love. In other words, there isn't anything that you have to do to make God love you. He already does. And the proof of that is, is that Christ has already come. He's already died. The Bible says that while we were still sinners, Christ died. Actually, we've got to think about that, not written in the generation in which Jesus was alive on this earth, but 2,000 years later. So for us, we've got to read it before we were born, before we had done anything good or bad, Christ died for us. So he says here, this begins from the knowledge that Christ loves you exactly as you are. But of course he loves you too much to leave you that way, which is the other side of the story. I think this kind of is best illustrated, certainly to my mind, in the story of the woman who was caught in adultery. I wonder if you remember that story. It's found in John's Gospel, chapter 8. We won't go into the whole story. We'll just home in on the revelation of Jesus at this point. You remember? She was dragged into the presence of Jesus, and, and they were trying to trip him up and, and said, you know, Moses said she should be stoned. What do you say? He was in a no-win situation. If he said, don't stone her, then he would have been a false prophet contradicting Moses. If he said, go ahead and stone her, then he'd be going against his ministry of love. He said, I didn't come to condemn, but I come to save the world. And also they could have reported him to the Roman authorities saying he's inciting the death penalty against this woman. And the Jews had no right to do that because they were under occupation. So whatever he said, apparently, would be wrong. But how many know that Jesus is never caught out? He said, let the one who has no sin cast the first stone. And the Bible says that beginning with the eldest, right down to the youngest, they just left. And Jesus now is alone with this woman. I picture her virtually on her face in shame, her, her long hair, hair. lying over her face, dirt, in the dirt, terrified, tears in her eyes. And Jesus said, woman, where are those who accuse you? She hadn't noticed that they'd gone. She looked up, she looked around, she said, there's no one here. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. He just said, lady, I'm here for people like you. How could Jesus pronounce that 
forgiveness over her life. And more than that, he, he lifted her guilt forever. Don't forget that Jesus is the judge of all the earth. There's no higher court, only Jesus. And when he says, you are free, you are free. Paul puts it this way, there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. How could he do that? He knew the time was coming not many days from that moment when Jesus himself will will climb the hill of Calvary and voluntarily lay his life down as a sacrifice for the sins of this woman and not hers only, but the sins of the whole world. Your sins and my sins, we carry them no more. They're nailed to the cross and therefore he can say, you are set free from the guilt and condemnation of sin. But that's not all Jesus said. That was his starting point. He said something else. He said, now, go and sin no more. Notice he didn't say, I will not condemn you provided you go and sin no more. But lady, you got off by the skin of your teeth today. And if I ever see you again in any kind of mess like this, I am going to give you everything you deserve. Did he say that? No, preachers say that. Jesus never said that. Preachers don't like you understanding your freedom and liberty in Christ. I have many discussions with people over this message of grace. And they say, it's true, but you can't dare preach it. Because if you preach it, people will say, we're free to do as we like. Is that what Jesus said? No. But understand these are two statements. The first statement is a statement of fact. Woman, no condemnation on your life. The second is a command. The same Jesus who saves you as Savior is the one who has right to tell you what to do out of love. Woman, go and sin no more. Now we have to notice the order because first he lifts condemnation. Secondly, He leads us into a godly life. The same Jesus who saves us and forgives us is the same Jesus who leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. So here in the upper room when Jesus says, if anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. He is speaking to people who have already received the love of God. And because we have received the love of God, we are in love with him. Remember, in another story, Jesus says, the one who has been forgiven much loves much. We start from a place of freedom. Jesus says, I don't condemn you. We are set free from the penalty of sin. And when he says, go and sin no more, the Lord of the new creation speaks a word of empowering. He gives us a new nature so we now can please God and live a life to please God. Philippians 4 verse 13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, who enables me. And so we speak about complete obedience in which God's love is perfected in us. I want you to skip over to 1 John chapter 2 verses 3 to 6. Here, Same author, the Apostle John, who wrote the fourth gospel, also wrote these three letters, 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, many, many, many years later. But John hasn't let go of this. 
John hears what Jesus says and I think he spends a lifetime meditating on it. And after all these many years, minimum 40 years later, 1 John 2, verses 3, he says, Now by this we know that we know him. <laughs> Not we know him, but we know that we know him. In other words, here's how we experience the deep knowledge of God in our lives. Now by this we know that we know him if we keep his commandments. He who says, I know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word truly, the love of God is perfected in him. The love of God is perfected in him. Let me show you how this works. You know, there's usually one main reason why we continue to sin. It's not because Jesus hasn't delivered us. We sin because we choose to sin. And we choose to sin because we believe that sin will give us something that Jesus won't give us. That's really laying it out on the line, isn't it, today? No, no, you don't understand, Colin. I, 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 I can't stop myself. Yes, you can. Stop it. <laughs> In Romans chapter 12 and verse 1, Paul says, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to him, which is your reasonable service. Your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might be able to prove what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. What he's really saying is that do it, and I will prove it to you. Do it, and you will see. Taste and see that the Lord is good. And the renewing of the mind means stop thinking that anything other than Christ and his will for your life is going to do anything good for you at all. It's reversing the curse. When Eve looked at the fruit and she said, this fruit is pleasing to the eyes, good for food and desirable for making one wise. That's why she took it. She desired it because she believed the lie of the enemy, a deception. There is no single action of sin that will bring anything good in your life. Nothing. And the difficulty is, is that sin so often feels good. Oh, am I only talking about me? Sometimes it feels very good. Hello? That's the mask coming off. I'll give you an example. I'll give you an example. You're mad. You're so mad. Somebody has offended you. Somebody has said something to you. You are so mad. And that feeling of being mad inside has got to get justice. I've got to get them back. I've got to let them know how I feel. They are wrong. I'm right. They are wrong. I'm right. And then we hit out and we feel good. Wow, oh, feels good. Revenge is sweet. 
Anybody know that? Anybody ever been there? Or is that some other? Uh, guys, have you met anybody in Elam churches do that anywhere else? No, it uh, must be there, not here. <laughs> what is this? It's a desire that comes through deception that if we get our way and get our own back on somebody, we're going to feel good. We're going to feel good about it. And actually, to begin with, <laughs> we probably do. Come on, people. Let's be real. The Bible says there is pleasure in sin, but only for a season, only for a while. Short term, it feels good. Let's use something else. We have been counting our calories. This is a bit trivial, but it'll just take the pressure off some of you because some of you are sweating a lot. Could you hand out the towels, please, right now? And we said, I've had enough of this. Carrots, cabbage, that's enough. Chocolate cake or nothing. And we eat, and we feel good. We eat some more, we feel good. And afterwards, we start feeling bad. Anybody know that? Okay, I finally got something you're prepared to admit to in public. <laughs> But really, the pleasure of sin comes not in just this, this trivial sense of satisfaction and so on. It comes from the fact that we are thoroughly persuaded that he cannot give us what we really need in that area. So we take the law into our own hands and we do what we feel we want to do. If it feels good, it is good and we'll do it. I'll give you a, a, another poignant example. And I do not, do not wish in any way to denigrate this person who is a real story. But I've got to give you some real examples to show you how tragic some of this can be. I was in Sweden, lecturing in our Bible school in Sweden, and dealing with similar topics to what I'm saying today. And one of the ladies in the school lifted her hand. She said, well, you know, what if Jesus doesn't give me a Christian husband? I said, well, I don't, I don't really know how to answer that except to say that at the end of the day, our satisfaction and fulfillment must be in him and him alone, whatever else happens to us. That sounds harsh. And don't forget that he is a Lord, a giver of good gifts. He gives us all things richly to enjoy. But we also know that life doesn't work out as we want it to. There sometimes are many disappointments circumstantially. If you were to look at your life today, you would say, Lord, there are certain circumstances I'm not happy about. And if you had a happy button to press, you would press it and get rid of those circumstances. Get rid of your boss, get rid of your mother-in-law, <laughs> get rid of that policeman, or all the stuff that irritates you in life. But that's not the real world, is it? So there's stuff, there's going to be disappointments. But the real test is if we are prepared to say yes to Jesus, even when it hurts, that we will not compromise his lordship in any way whatsoever. And we'll say, Jesus, you are Lord of all my life. 
And I surrender this to you. I don't know. I, I'm going to keep praying every day. I'm going to give you earache, Lord, because I really want this. But at the end of the day, I will put you above everything else. So I guess I kind of must have responded to her in the way I've just responded to you. But before she sat down, she said, well, if by the end of this course, I don't have a Christian husband, if he doesn't give me one, I'll go out and find one for myself. Whatever. Well, that happened. She left the course. She was still unmarried. And just let me just say, guys, if you heard a woman say that, would you automatically want to fall in love with her? <laughs> Come on, guys, be honest. No. Guys, if you met a woman who was so in love with Jesus that she was completely satisfied in him, would there not be some attraction about that woman that will be above and beyond Max Factor, <laughs> Chanel, or even front page of Cosmopolitan magazine? Do I have a witness in the house? Or men, are you just as superficial as that? <laughs> Ladies, I said that for you. Not that there aren't cosmopolitan people here. Not that, I mean, I don't know. I, I'm, I know I'm biased, but I happen to pastor guys, happen to pastor the church with the most handsome men and the most beautiful women in the world. <laughs> the trouble is, you know, anyway. All right, that's another sermon. <laughs> Bruce, could you write that down? We'll put that into the preaching schedule. Okay. So, serious now, what happened? was that she left the course and she took up an affair with a non-Christian man, married him, now she's married, and she's no longer Christian. She's given it all up. See, what is this? This is idolatry. This is idolatry. And when we believe our idols will give us what God cannot give us, we are sold down the river by the arch deceiver of all. Listen, there is no sin in your life or indeed in my life that is worth it because this is how he manifests himself to us. Amen? This is how he manifests himself to us. This is how love is completed in us. It is perfected in us. When the love that we know up here, yes, Jesus loves me, we sang it in Sunday school, if ever we got there. Most haven't in our generation. We know it intellectually. We, every time we think about Jesus, we, we're told, he loves you. And it's in here. But not here. And how for that love to drop 18 inches from our mind into our, the depths of our heart and spirit, one of the main pathways to that is obedience. Try it, he says. Just say no. Just stop it. <laughs> and do it. Now, this is such a good feeling. I love saying it. I'm going to have you some fun. Will you be preachers with me today? Okay, so I want you to say, just stop it and just do it. Okay, let's say it together. Really strong. Say it to yourself. Say it to me if you really want to get your own back here. Are you ready? All together. Just stop it. And Amen. Biblical language, put off. 
the things that displease God. Put on the things that please him. It's not just stopping and becoming unemployed in the kingdom. It's positive obedience. Pursuing, I mean, there's so many examples. Let him who stole steal no more. Stop it. And now work with your own hands to be provider of others. Do it. Amen. The person who was a liar, stop it and start speaking the truth in love. Amen. And any particular sin in your life that grips you, you can have the love, all the love in the world. You can have all of the tolerance, all of the understanding. And we are understanding in this church, I tell you. We're not a liberal church, but we understand the pressures that are upon people. We understand the struggles that you go through. Why do we understand them? Because we go through the same stuff. Amen? And I will treat you in the way I would want mercy upon me. But at the same time, there comes a point in my life where I have to say, stop it. And I have to say, do it. And there will come a moment And today's that moment. Stop it. What is it you're doing that displeases God? Stop it. But, 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 we don't go there. (laughs) Isn't that wonderful? We're now exercising our free will to glorify God. But it's not just the negative, what you stop doing. It's what you put on. Put on Christ. Amen. Amen. And and wherever God is challenging you today, it's very likely to be in one of two areas. Because as I read the New Testament, I see two great commandments of Jesus. And remember, the commandments of Jesus aren't like the law written on tables of stone. They are written in our hearts. This is who we want to be. And in fact, this is who we really are in Christ. So what are these two commandments? One, love one another as I have loved you. That's the great commandment. It's the royal law of liberty. It's Jesus' overriding principle of love. And, and you can then unpack everything that he calls you to do to show that his will is the loving way to go. Amen? Love. Second is go. Matthew chapter 28, verses 18. And onwards, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go and make disciples. We're really going to have to come back to this. Because I am deeply concerned about our current world in which we live. Where we are, they call it the chilling effect. Not so long ago, we were told just to witness at work is likely to lead to disciplinary action. And they were going to bring in laws to ensure in employment that you couldn't do that because you would be harassing people simply by saying, Christ is my Lord. Even on your own time, in your coffee breaks, lunch breaks, or anything to do with work. And we've seen Christians have lost their jobs, not just for that, but It's not quite there yet, but they're threatening us. And so we think, we better keep quiet. When I go to work, I keep my nose clean. I don't say anything to anybody. But we are sent into the world to shine for Christ. And we've got to throw off that spirit of intimidation. 
I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can challenge them. Yes, you can. Why? Because they are on a shaky foundation. Jesus said, the person who hears my words and obeys them is like a man who built his house on a firm foundation. So when the wind came and the, and the storm came, that house withstood the tests of life. And the greatest test of all to stand before the judgment of God. But those who refuse to obey Christ and follow Christ, they're building their life on a shaky foundation that's not going to last. And so here it is. Listen, and we'll unpack this. One of the things that that Lawrence Tisdall will show you when we look at this issue as, as, uh, as far as evolution versus creation. The actual basis of evolution is not science. I mean, I'm being very broad brushstroke here. There is science in it, but the science in it does not support the conclusion. The science that's out there supports the conclusion, the assertion that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. That's the science. He will show you some of this. And one of the things that you do is you actually call people to question what they're standing on. Let me give you an example from religion. I think I've used this before. I'll just use this quickly now before I wind up. Over the summer, I've been speaking to a lot of people and witnessing. One of the things, as you know, I spent as much time resting as possible. And so no, no study, no reading, no writing. Can you imagine me going away and not writing a book? Unus- unheard of. But they couldn't stop me from going out to talk to people. And I met a man who was converted as, as a Buddhist, and, and I got to know him a little bit, 29 years of age, young man, beautiful, a person who is fulfilled and happy. Don't think that because you're non-Christian, they're non-Christians, they're miserable. Sometimes you've got to go to church to find miserable people. Anyway, that's a, but that's another story. That's, that's another story. Oh, it's true, it's true, it's true. You've met people like that. Not here, of course. And uh, he, he was talking about his Buddhist meeting. I'm not mocking. This is deep engagement. And I said, what did you do? He said, well, we had a discussion. What discussion was that? The discussion was, do we choose our own reincarnation? This is where you've got to control us, because I was really going to say, there ain't such, no such thing. It is appointed under man wants to die. Once, 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 once. You only got one life. Come on, live it for God. Wants to die. So... He says that some said, no, you choose what you want to come back as and all this kind of stuff. And uh, the leader of that group had addressed this man and said, you are very quiet. Why aren't you contributing? He said, well, I don't really believe in reincarnation. I thought there's hope for us all. And uh, then he said, well, here's the thing. It's a part, something of Buddhist teaching that I'm not so sure about. In fact, I don't cho- it's not part of my system and I, I don't choose to adopt that. I stopped him right there. I said, do you realize what you've said? No, you've said that you choose not to accept that. So your whole religious belief is based on what you desire, what you choose, what you've made up your mind about. Without any evidence, you can't even be a good Buddhist. On that basis, you are worshipping yourself. And I said, if you were to ask me, why am I a Christian? 
and not a Buddhist or a Muslim or anything else or an atheist, I would point, of course, to my spiritual experience and all the stuff I know about the Bible, but I would go to the bedrock revelation of God in Christ who came into this world as in flesh and blood and showed himself and manifested himself, who died on a cross in front of eyewitnesses and was raised again from the dead in front of eyewitnesses. We have historical evidence. There are reasons to believe. We don't just choose what we believe. So in these areas, what is it that he's saying to you today? Could the, uh, our worship team come back? What is he saying to you today? He's saying to us all to be determined today. To be completely obedient. Now this is progressive. There are areas of disobedience in all of us. I'm not saying that we settle for that. But he takes us step by step through this process of what we call sanctification. He leads us in paths of righteousness. And the next step is the now step in your life. For all of us, there's a now step. There's something in your life that he's saying, stop it. Something he's saying, the opposite to that, do it. What is it for you? What is it for you? Let him speak to you. Don't do this under a sense of guilt and condemnation because that's already lifted. Amen? And remember that when you do this, you're going to have to trust him with the outcome because the flesh will scream, no, I don't want to. Speak to that two-year-old and say, stop it. That two-year-old inside of you, that little child that wants instant gratification its own way. What is it for you? Is it a relationship that's got to come into line with God's revelation? Is it a relationship? Is it a job in which you are behaving in a way that doesn't glorify God? What is it? Only God can answer that for you. Please, just begin to play something for us. (sighs) Or is it also in the area of what you're not doing? And you say, well, we're a grace church. You're talking about doing, 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 doing. I, I walked past 16 churches to come here today to be, hit, to be told I've got to do something. Oh yes, we're living for Christ. Yes, of course there's something for us to do. But we do it out of love for Him and surrender to Him. What is it? What is your now step of obedience? Is it something that comes under the great commandment to love as He loved us? Does it come under the great commission to go As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Whatever it is, let's wait before him now. Everywhere, every head bowed, every eye closed. Lift up your heart before him. Oh, he's such a loving Jesus. He says, obey me today. Do what I'm calling you to do and you'll discover something. My Father is going to come and manifest himself to you. I'm going to come in the love which you've come to know. It's going to be perfected in you. And you experience it in a whole new way. Thank you, Jesus.